Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Love that new music. What is up, my fight friends? We are here for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio, Boxing World. A little light. Uh, we're in January. We're in COVID times. January always is a lighter month in the boxing world. Throw on top of it, uh, this newest wave of, of coronavirus. And now we are in the lighter portion of the schedule. But that doesn't mean we're not bringing you heat. Doesn't mean that we're not bringing you some great boxing stories. I'm continuing this Legends Month here at Inside Boxing Live. Last week, we had Roy Jones, and that was amazing. Thank you for all the messages. I enjoyed talking uh, to Captain Hook. This week, we got the Executioner. (laughs) We got the Alien. We got Bernard Hopkins with us uh, for a very, very fun conversation about uh, the career, the life of Bernard Hopkins, uh, incarcerated at age 18. You know the story by now. Multiple uh, records, one of the longest tenured uh, middleweight champion, not just about his fighting career, mostly uh, uh, you know some stories about his life. Really, really fun conversation with Bernard Hopkins. I've spent the last week uh, going through all his moments, going through all his fights, uh, going through his life, a remarkable, remarkable career that now as you step back and you reflect on it, you kind of appreciate it more. Because, but listen, Bernard wasn't always the, everyone's favorite fighter. Uh, early in his career, he was very aggressive, threw a lot of punches, had a high connect rate, uh, you know, stopped De La Hoya, stopped Trinidad, had a lot of knockouts. When he fought from age 40 to 49, which is crazy to even say, slowed down a little bit, became more defensive-minded, used dirty tactics, got the Ws, got the job done. So in totality, throw in everything that he did outside the ring, the business stuff, just being a character, uh, he had one of the better and, and fun careers uh, in, in boxing history. So great conversation w- with uh, Bernard Hawkins. Talked about Canelo as well. Uh, boxing is back this weekend uh, over on ESPN. We're going to see Joe Smith step in there, not against Callum Johnson. Uh, that was a COVID casualty or, or COVID uh, cancellation. Uh, we're going to see him versus Stephen Jefford, uh, a short notice opponent. Man, no one's been more snake bitten. Uh, then Joe Smith Jr. Uh, go back to when he was supposed to fight better be of that fight fell out. Uh, he got COVID. Some of his opponents got COVID. Uh, so we're going to see some boxing this week. Uh, and the, the next week we got uh, a big one too with, with uh, Gary Russell Jr. But here he is. Let's talk to the man, Bernard Hopkins. All right, let's bring in our guest this week on Inside Boxing Live. We're keeping up with our Legends Month. We had Roy Jones on last week, and who better to follow it up than Bernard Hopkins, the executioner, B-Hop, the alien, the oldest man to hold and defend a world title, defended his middleweight title 20 times, also a record. I can go on and on uh, for all of this man's records, a legend in the game. Bernard, how are you, my friend? I'm great, man. Good. How are you, and happy new year. Happy New Year to you, too. Um, of all those nicknames, because you have a lot, there are a lot of fighters today that don't have any good nicknames. Which one do you like the best? 
Well, the executioner is the foundation. Of course, I'm, I'm rocking with the executioner, with mm. DX. And, and, and I look at it too, not only, I mean, I, I agree there were nicknames when I attached them to me at a time in my career. Um, and the alien came right after 40, mm -hmm. um, doing it on a level I was, you know, performing at beating guys like literally 25 and younger, um, and a little older, but not older as myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I look at it as having three respectful brands. And the reason I said three is the executioner, yeah. the alien made history, did yeah. push-ups in, push in Montreal <laughs> fighting Gene Pascal and won that fight. And then if you look at the executioner, 20 defenses, the middleweight, that's, that's a lot. That's mm -hmm. a Hall of Famer career right there. And then you go to the alien, I guess it's probably might be some debate about that, but because of my age, breaking George Foreman's record, being the oldest champion, defending titles, winning world championships. And then if you go to the B-Hop, now much older people call me, the, well, the younger people call me B-Hop, the older people call me executioner. When I mean yeah. older 40 and up, and the young generation, the millennials, B-Hop, what's up, B-Hop, what's up, <laughs> well, It just rolls off I'm the tongue. Yes, so I'm looking at it like, damn, I got three, I had really three careers. It really did. I mean, you had, like, your post-40 career, at least Hall of Fame two. worthy. At least two. Yes, at least two. The, the executioner and the alien, at least two legitimately, <laughs> you could say I had two careers. Well, what about, I read online, I was been immersed in your career for the last three days from when I knew you were coming on. Uh, what was this name you had growing up, Heads? Yeah, Heads. Heads was, um, and they called my brother, God rest his soul, he was a year younger than me, um, uh, Baby Heads. So I'm the second I'm the second oldest. I got a sister a year older than me. Mm -hmm. So out of six siblings. So Heads became a name in the amateurs when I was boxing in, in my street, North Philadelphia, uh, in the streets. Um, it's kind of embarrassing back then. <laughs> But it was more of a guy hitting me and hurting his own goddamn hand and be like, yo, so, and, and because my head, you know, having shrunk, you know what I mean? So I'm looking at it like back then I have really had a hard head and I believe I got a hard head now. You can ask a couple of my opponents who happened to run into it and been split all up in here. But it came, honestly, it came based on um, having a hard head and, 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 and using it appropriately when I needed it. <laughs> you got a hard head more ways than one. You got a hard head more yes, ways than one. Yes, and it, uh, trust me, I've learned that too. And <laughs> and that name stuck to me to the day. Yeah. When the person sees me in Philly, New York, or anywhere else that know that name, that's what they call me because that's I know funny. them from 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 a while ago. Yo, yeah. what's up, heads? I did it every <laughs> now and then. And having a, a, a strong head is like an underrated attribute in, in boxing. Like Holyfield had a big, a strong head. Like Tim Bradley had a big head. <laughs> Sometimes yes. you can use it uh, to, your, to, to your advantage. And you talk about having all these different like nicknames to go along with different points in, in your life. Heads is obviously when you grew up, man, you can't tell your story without talking about how you came up uh, before you even stepped in, into a boxing ring, you know, North Philly, tough area. Uh, you know, running into to trouble, running into crime, ending up in prison at, at, at 17. Uh, but what I find interesting, and this is like a, a kind of like a microcosm of, of your career, is how you turned a negative in, into a positive. 
What was it like fighting in the prison circuit? I tell you, it was tougher and more challenging in there than out here. Um, and because there was very little organized, uh, it was very little organized, organized, mm -hmm. organized in the jail, even though um, they had rules and they had boundaries. But we had a mat with no ropes most of the time. Oh. And you had to stay on that ring mat or you consider retreating or giving up. And that was always in most fighters' minds consciously when you was in that situation as far as greater force state penitentiary. Mm -hmm. um, but they was under, listen, they was under the, the, the amateur rules. We had, we had literally a boxing team taking on other penitentiaries in the PA system, which is over 35, do your research. And it, it, it was part of that community in jail 10, 15 years ago, when, it, when they abolished everything, maybe 20, um, if they, and again, I know you didn't ask me this, that basically got me back into the love of something that I abandoned as I got to a young adult in Philadelphia and looked at trophies as being something that doesn't benefit me. Uh, the real life is I want things, I need things. How do I get them? was the choice I made to put me in that situation. And, and, I, and I understand that. But back to that prison um, way of fighting or, or boxing. Yes, prisoners came from the streets through security, searched into the system of boxing and having tournaments once a month like a fight show, like at the <laughs> Blue Horizon. It must have been no, wild, like, like atmosphere. Exactly. It know what it remind me of? If you remember James Scott. Mm -hmm. James Scott was fighting while he was a prisoner on ABC while yeah. it was a sport yeah. back in the 80s. Listen to this. It was like that on steroids on the <laughs> amateur level. It was huge. And, and, and your name traveled out of the penitentiary to society of the boxing gyms in Philadelphia. And like it is a lot there now, it was a lot there then. Do you think you and, learned a and, lot more from that type of setting? Like hell guys, yeah. guys today, you know, they, they go through the amateur ranks and they fight in the Golden Gloves. They do this, that, and the other. Obviously, you had a little bit of different circumstances, but you cannot deny that that, like, shaped who you were in your, in your career. Absolutely. Because... Not only did that um, get me back into the love of boxing because uh, I wanted to get off the block and getting off the block is I want to get off the block to get on another block, maybe hang out a few hours, come back, try to make some time inside of a bubble, basically with 10,000 men. They had a gym. The gym is shared with basketball, weightlifting, handball, it's a huge gym yeah. and carved out in the corners, there's bags, rings, and a whole bunch of old heads <laughs> that have been in there either for life or 20 years. There are trainers, trainers, 
was there before me. Some either died or still there now on a life sentence. Yeah. I got the love back because I just wanted to get off the block and went down there and seen somebody kicking somebody butt. And I said, man, he ain't all that. And that became, well, you get in there. And I got in there, did well, but didn't do great. And I never forgot that. And I carried that spirit all the way out of that penitentiary. That's wild. Into walking off that nine years parole mm -hmm. and took that same spirit and took it right into losing my first fight to Clinton Mitchell in 1988 at the Resorts Casino. I took that same spirit after a year and a half of being exiled, 89 and came back, I believe in 90, if the record reflects it. And from that year on, 18 plus years later, we're here doing the Zoom. That's amazing, man. It's a, it's a heck of a, it's like a movie. Like there should be movies made about you. Uh, it's, it's a great about, story. We'll get into that. That, that. That's been already with Christian, with Golden Boy. We are already now finding the details, and I don't. I mean, it's a it's a no brainer, man. I, I've no, been immersed. We, we, getting, we getting that together now because it can help a lot of people. No, I, I agree. I agree. Definitely agree. It's a, it's a like I said, it's a turning a negative into a positive. Back to to your to you get out of prison and you losing that debut. You're on a short list. You're on a trivia now. You're a trivia answer of a world titleist that lost their their debut. Henry Armstrong, Rafael Marquez, Pepino Cuevas. Uh, Juan Manuel Marquez lost, but it was a disqualification. But after all you went through uh, fighting, you know, coming out of prison, fighting that debut and then losing, what was going through your mind from when you lost that fight and then when you took like a serious time off before you resumed your career? One was, uh, is this, is it worth it? Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I was, I was not an impression that I was going to get my first million dollar debut fight. The few hundred bucks had to spend at least 200 of that with the corner people, mm -hmm. $50 here, $25 here. Um, but it wasn't even about that. It was about fulfilling my dream and finally got a chance to be in the ring with a five and O guy, I believe four and O I was O and O um, obviously the opponent on record and fighting a golden glove, New York, Clinton Mitchell, who, who I tracked down and he, he deceased about four years ago. He's from New York, matter of fact, Brooklyn, New York and well-decorated amateur and went through, went, went through my mind and asked you a question because I wanted to get that out there first, whether I was going to continue to do this. Now, why did I say that? If you look at my record, I said it then and I'm saying now, and you already researched because that's why you're asking me. 88, 89, and 90. So 89 and 90, after the Clint Mitchell fight, I was inactive. If you look at that month, and then seriously, this, this is a little preview of my documentary. Mm -hmm. 89, the year flipped, the year flipped <laughs> to 89. And from that until 90, I met, I, 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 oh, and one. <laughs> it's wild. Right? And guess what? It was a struggle between 
living in Philadelphia, a big city. We had fast money, fast cars, fast this, fast that. Things was rolling just like it was in New York City. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old you are. But in 88, 89, <laughs> 88 and 89 and 90, and even mm-hmm. in the early 90s, but I ain't going to get up to the 90s. I'm just going to stay there. Yeah. That's the focus point. What's very crucial that I'm here to talk to you on the Zoom. That's wild. Because there was a lot of stuff pulling at me. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff because of my reputation of heads on the street. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of temptations. There was a lot of soul searching. And it was just a lot of choices. Yeah. So glad that I made the right choice. Yeah. So from, from there, that's, it's amazing, amazing uh, way to start a career to really reflect back on it. But from there, you got back uh, on the horse, on the saddle, and you reel off 12 straight wins. You win uh, a, a world title uh, in 95. Even that was had some adversity with the fighting over in Ecuador. But you win the, the world title. You make 12 defenses. And then we get to 2001, and I was thinking about this, like a Bernard Hopkins Mount Rushmore of like your four best moments. Undoubtedly, Felix Trinidad, September 29th, 18 days after 9-11, Madison Square Garden, the tournament at, at middleweight, but unifying, undisputed, uh, getting an undisputed title for the first time since, since Marvin Hagler. That night was emotional for a, a number of reasons. If you just remove the whole boxing aspect of it, then you throw on top of it that this is probably like the beginning culmination of, of your career and how the, the boxing public was like, damn, this guy is the truth. Can you take us through that night and what you were feeling after 9-11 and, and everything about that night? I was feeling that I was sharing, which, would, which was and is my greatest nights to to prove uh, who I am, if there's any doubt out there, and there's always doubt somewhere in boxing on how good you are or how good you're not. And that interference and and tragedy Mm -hmm. and being there when it happened. Let me not forget, I was in New York two weeks before it happened, just to get acclimated from West Coast to New York City. And knowing that this is my moment, that I'm going to be the underdog before the underdog numbers came out. And Trinidad is undefeated, just to me, got a squeaky win over my partner, Oscar De La Hoya. And now he wants to conquer the 160 pound division. And the beauty of it, I wasn't controlled by Don King, but I signed to do the tournament for those two fights, one with Keith Holmes mm-hmm. and the final with Trinidad. But leading up to that, as the world know, uh, running Central Park, running past and stopping, having a conversation with him. He's still alive. He's still well alive and well, named Shelly Frankel. Of course, yeah. And I believe at that time, yeah, I think he introduced me as his wife. And we was in Central Park, and we talk and laugh about this to the day. Mm-hmm. And once I got done, I went to St. Regis in Lower Manhattan, where I was staying. Mm-hmm. 
not at Southgate, used to be near the train station in Manhattan, but they changed the name, it used to be Southgate. Mm -hmm. Don King had everybody there. I was already planning ahead. I threw the flag down and <laughs> yeah, we'll get Philadelphia. I threw the, no, I'm gonna tell you why I was standing in the hotel when nobody knew and they was furious about it because yeah. I knew that Don King was gonna have people or somebody was gonna have to call on my phone, mm -hmm. banging drums outside at three, three, four in the morning. <laughs> yeah, all the mind games, right? So I stayed in those same regions. But anyway, leaving Central Park, came back to, to, to St. Regis in Lower Manhattan, taking off all my wet stuff. Second plane sliced through because the TV was on when I got there because I left it on before I left out. And the second plane, I just seen the second plane. The mm -hmm. first plane, I thought it was in maybe an accident, a helicopter, which is always fly in New York. Somebody mm -hmm. clipped the top, whatever it was. But when it sliced through, I heard the reporter, or don't remember what channel it was, none of that. Oh my God, this is a terrorist attack. This is no accident. Mm -hmm. Within three minutes, you heard sirens going off or some alarm going off in the St. Regis. Then my phone rang and the system shut down. So I'm trying to get on a house phone at the hotel to try to figure out what the heck is going on. Cause I didn't, it ain't, it, it, I'm seeing this on TV, but don't know that it's affecting us as close as it did, but it did because the word got around that it may be more and maybe this, maybe that. And it was all chaos within less, eight minutes or less, everybody knew what was going on at least in that hotel, because they was all standing outside. Nobody was in, they was telling people to get out. Yeah. Some had robes on. You know, we gotta remember this is like the beginning of September, this this uh, Independence Month. This is one of the biggest months in boxing. Mm -hmm. So so it wasn't cold, it wasn't sunny, like June. Oh, it was a beautiful was day. Roughly, yes, it was a beautiful day. So, so I remember that clear. And then I remember all hell breaking out as far as, you know, what should we do? Comment, you know, it was just a whole bunch of unsure uh, uh, people. We unsure, like what to do. Nobody's thinking about, well, is the fight going to be canceled? Um, but it did come through my mind with brother Nazim, my trainer, God rest his soul, he passed mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. And and you can read this out there because it's out there. And I wasn't being insensitive, but I was so focused on like, Knowing it ain't a trick, knowing that ain't nothing to promote it, did anything far as um, what goes on and, and the shenanigans of boxing and mind games. Mm -hmm. This is real, but until I hear it from the horse's mouth that the fight is definitely not going to go on, which I believe it wasn't, mm -hmm. then I'm going to still keep the mindset of a fighter. Yeah, it must have been really hard trained. for you. It must have been really hard to you know, in those days after where you probably got word that the fight was going to get moved and then to have to, it's like, not like a baseball player. Like they took a week off and they played. It's like a different type of mentality when you're a fighter getting into the ring. So it must've been really hard for you to stay focused and keep that while essentially the world was burning. Yeah, it was. And what I think we, I think we kept the, with, I think the glue, the glue that kept it together mm -hmm. was 
we didn't hear whether the fight was going to be canceled or not. And as days went by, I'm thinking the fight's going to go on. They got to be negotiating. They got to be trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And they did. It's pretty crazy they that they, it only had an 18 day delay. Usually, you know, today's yeah. boxing world, you move it like a month, two months. Two months. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm like, <laughs> yo, I know this like, but I'm not hearing nothing. And we can't leave. Hold up. We can't leave New York. Yeah. The bridges are shut down. That's the planes wild. are grounded. You couldn't leave. You was normally trapped into a, a, a situation where you don't know what's going to happen every day. Well, good thing you had so, that time. So uh, good thing you had that time in the uh, Gratiford Penitentiary. To you know, you, you've been through been through tough or tough see, times. See, that's that's a smart man thinking. See, because I went right back to that mold, that mindset. Yeah, um, and I could do that to the day. I mean, how do you think I've been getting through COVID? True. So when people call me and say, "How you holding up, man?" I said, "Um." I'm locked down like everybody else is, but if you got to understand, this is not considered a lockdown to me. Yeah. Not, not again, I'm, I'm, it's a different, it's a different way that I'm living now mm -hmm. and, 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 and with responsibilities, I'm looking at it like, I'd rather be outside. I'd rather be able to hug my friends and talk of and all course. that without a mask. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But this is not lockdown. <laughs> yeah, you've you've been through. I can, you've been I can through order. All. You mean to tell me I can order my meal yeah, and not have to go out and, it's all and about waste gas? It's Correct. all about perspective. It's all about perspective. But but the night of the fight, uh, I just watched it yesterday again, and uh, Smoger gives you like one hell of a speech before the fight about how this is going to save the world and this is going <laughs> to. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but um, going through that ring walk and, and the atmosphere and then the actual fight is that like one of your most memorable nights? Correct. And also to add on that, um, the performance was. Mm -hmm. Of course, the performance, and I had some great performances, some great. Um, I would say underdog fights where I was the underdog. You can go to Tarver, you can go to Pavlik, but nothing like Trinidad. Mm -hmm. Based on the surroundings of the activity, what happened, the tragedy. I mean, 9-11 is attached to my career every time and every year that is displayed, especially through the boxing world. And, and that's something people are going to remember me by, fortunately, unfortunately, and they're going to remember what happened to our, our great country. Mm -hmm. So my, my thing is this, um, that fight, stands amongst not only fights in, and I believe is with a lot of great fights in the history of time in a hundred years, but that fight to me personally is number one. Yeah. I don't know why HBO doesn't have, like they did a legendary nights, but I mean, I tweeted this yesterday too, and I got a, a big response. It's like, come on. They like, didn't that, have that, that, on it. that night is, has everything. I mean, if you think about it, it has everything, the 9-11 aspect, the unifying the, the middleweight crown, uh, you know, Hagler. Uh, but you know, why that wasn't, you know why that wasn't important to the, the head guy up there? And I don't know him personally, but just go by the person that scratched boxing out of HBO's yeah, Peter program. Nelson. So, yeah, so this whoever. That. Peter, this was way well before Peter Nelson, but, you know, they, they, there should be some type of documentary on it because I think. It literally. Uh, let, let me ask everything. you something. Let me ask you not to get on a different conversation. Is this Peter? Is a good? Is, is he a boxing guy? Obviously, he can't be. Uh, and I don't want to. <laughs> what I'm I've not known, bad. I'm just. No, he wasn't. He was put in there to do a job. He was put in there with the writing on the wall that we need 
from people above him that maybe we're going to have to eventually pull the plug on boxing. And he was not put in a good position. I believe he was a writer, a boxing writer, but he wasn't like in the trenches boxing writer. He would do like these fancy articles for like GQ. Uh, he did a good story on Roach, uh, Freddie Roach, like back for the uh, De La Hoya fight. I, I mean, looking back now that we're a couple of years separated at the time, I, I couldn't stand the guy because he cut HBO and that's like a big part of my life and a lot of boxing fans life. But he was just dealt a, a tough, a tough assignment on having having to pull the plug on HBO. I know Showtime is happy. Yeah, there's a well. I mean, and we have the zone, of course, your, your ties with, with Golden Boy. Right. Like, we, we've like box this happens to boxing fans in the boxing business all the time. It's you know this better than anyone. Adapt, adapt or die. So, HBO's gone. What's next? <laughs> I took a few days to get over it. I'm still not fully over it, but you move on. Like, they get over stuff quick. Yeah, boxing exactly. fans get over stuff quick. You got to get over that. Uh, okay, let's go back in the in into the uh time warp. And now, uh, after 9 11, uh, that fight. You're the man now, 160 pounds, undisputed. You defend that title like for three, four more years. Then we get to another Mount Rushmore type of moment in your career, fighting Oscar, the body punch, uh, the liver shot heard around the world. That was another big buildup, your highest payday. Uh, you know, you're, you're on the, the grand uh, level now. Uh, take us through that fight. Ends up leading to your uh, involvement in, in Golden Boy. A lot happened in that fight and a lot came of it. And it also happened, a lot of things happened before the fight also because um, I was headed to the airport because it was discriminatory against, uh, and this was going to come up again, we talked about it, we laugh about it now, about the weight. The weight that I agreed to fight De La Hoya, yeah. um, obviously he didn't want to come in at 160. He thought somehow it was going to be an advantage based on my experience with my coach, Nazim Richardson. Um, that I had to agree to a catch weight, even though I was the undisputed middleweight champion. The opportunity to fight Oscar De La Hoya and for the biggest payday that I ever received based on guaranteed, uh, we agreed to, I believe 57. Yeah, yeah. And anybody know, anybody know about a middleweight um, especially big middleweights in the last 20 years or 30 years, other than Hagler, uh, not being a big middleweight in uh, my height, close to six feet, maybe six feet. <sighs> That's kind of cutting through muscle and putting a little strain and it leaves you at a disadvantage. But anyway, I took the challenge and I have no regrets. So obviously. And you were 39 too, right at the time. Correct. Correct. So coming in at 156 so, at age 39 is, <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. Yo, see what you I was about. See what you just said. I blew the cap off the bottle <laughs> when they seen me on that scale, and you seen a rib or two, right? I'm not going. When you see it, you can be like Bernard. You, 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 you are you sick? No, I felt great. <laughs> I felt they were hydrated. They never thought I was going to make the weight. I made the weight, and I told Oscar at the press conference. Dead man walking. <laughs> go to the press conference. Yeah, go to the press conference. I turned around and I said, "Dead man walking." And 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 obviously it was a good movie. But but the thing is this: they didn't expect I was going to make fifty six. They didn't expect that I was going to be not only making fifty six, but I was going to come under a pound under the weight that they thought was going to be an advantage. Yeah, M mental man. You you were the master of that. Like. You're also the master of a lot of things. I think you could have been a great WWE heel. Like, 
I, I don't believe a lot of times you actually meant the things you were saying or doing, but you know how to promote a damn fight. I think it's missing. He came out. I think he it's missing out. today. It's missing today. Like we need characters. You are a freaking character, but also like you talk the talk and then you walk the walk. I hate to go back, but I, I do want to bring this up. Do you regret uh, what Trinidad? Throwing, do, do you regret throwing the flags and, and everything that you think he took it too far with that? Do I regret being that person or do I regret being the person I am now? The, oh. the civilian looking back. Because back then I didn't regret that had to happen. That had to happen by any means necessary. That had to happen. I had to be this country first and I had to be as disrespectful <laughs> as I possibly can. And then I have to physically get him. <laughs> but knowing that the pressure that his people was going to put on him yeah. And then the pressure of fighting Bernard Hopkins, which is not an easy fight. There's going to be elbows. There's going to be feet. There's <laughs> going to be head. There's going to be punches. So he had a lot of, he had a big order. Yeah. I, 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 right now, looking at it, knowing that it offended a lot of people. I've mm. been to San Juan, Puerto Rico many times. I'm pretty sure maybe a dozen times I ate food out of there that people spit in it. I'm pretty sure I ate spit a couple of times. No, seriously. I know. No, I, I know. I know. It's just, it's funny. I ate spit and everything. God knows what I ate, but it didn't kill me because I'm still here talking to you. Yeah, but, but, but listen to this. I have regret now based on, and I'm serious about this, offending proud Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm that really, really didn't understand the reason and didn't care, and they shouldn't care. No, they shouldn't, because I offended them as a culture of people who consider themselves brown, like me, consider themselves the underdogs, like myself, and based on that, I can say today at 56 and be 57 this coming Saturday, January 15th. Wow. Is that that side of me now, mm -hmm. looking back on that, what I've done the same thing, looking back and taking the time back, I had to, yes. But I I, I went there to apologize with Paco. Paco is the WBO yeah, WBL, president. Yeah, I know him. He eventually, and he might've told you the story, him and the Undertaker, he passed away. He used to be a guy with him all the time, look real serious. Um, and me and Paco, when I see him at fights, we talk about it, I say, Paco, thank you for taking me to San Juan. I promised Paco in that ring, because we was fighting for that last belt, which was yeah. the WBO, you remember? Yeah. Yeah. And I said to Paco, I want to go to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And let them know I ain't with some media people is writing about me. Well, you're you're, you're um, kind of benefited from this not happening in the Twitter era because correct, it would have been all over the place. It would have been like think pieces on it. There would have it would have blew it way out of proportion. It would have probably been good for, for the promotion. But I was watching it when you did it in Puerto Rico. I mean, that set off a melee. Did you think you were like gonna get like hurt? <laughs> uh, I should have. Yeah. Because wild. You know why I should have? Because what was coming after that, they knew 
that Trinidad was in trouble. You don't let a person come in your country, mm-hmm. do something so disrespectful and leave out of there alive. I won that fight when I left out of there. <laughs> That's not. I yeah. just had to, listen this, I just yeah. had to physically perform it that night and be mentally ready that night because the burden of proof who he is and how he was going to get revenge for what was done was too much pressure. And then the skills on top of that was was too much for Trinidad. Well, I, I think you tapped into the mental side of the sport like better than anyone in, in, in recent time. Like, just like you explaining it right there was like, whoa, like <laughs> this is more than like, I, I don't think of it like that because I'm not a fighter. I'm a media guy. But I, the, the, I have never, it never ceases to amaze me the mental warfare between fighters, the mental, um, what you guys have to go through on, on, on a daily basis. It legitimately blows my mind. And even more so when you hear it from a Hall of Famer uh, like yourself. But we have two of the Mount, R- Mount Rushmore moments for you, Delahoya and uh, Trinidad. What are the other two for you? Antonio Tarver. Yeah. I put out a I put out a tweet um yesterday. I said, what is Bernard Hopkins' and, and, best win? And I got a range of answers. But I'm gonna <laughs> give you one more. Let me, give, let me give you one more. Go ahead. That was a beauty. Especially, especially you mentioned about promotion. You mentioned about do you regret saying this, do you regret saying that? The Joe Gazaki fight. I never let a white boy beat me, right? That went that went. <laughs> Viral. If that was said today, it would have been it would have been it would have been marching. They had picket signs out in front of every property that I have. Well, but, Devin but, Haney but, said but, it. Devin Haney did but, say, and he got in trouble. Listen to this. Listen to this. All this stuff is mind games. All this stuff to get things riled up and all this stuff. But now the, the the risk the risk in that people will still call you racist to the day because they never forget that. And 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 the thing was. Fighting Kelly Patrick. Now, I mentioned that to lead to why Kelly Patrick became, we got him now. We got him. (laughs) Because you know why they thought they was going to get me? I'm not talking about a split decision with Joe Galasaki. I'm not talking about a decision where, uh, you know, you know, Bernard fights like that, you know, he bores everything, whatever. Depending on who you ask. They really thought he was going to beat me because they believed the lie when they gave Jermaine Teller the fight. Yeah. As split decision win, and he wound up doing what to Jermaine Teller. Mm-hmm. He wound up finishing him off from the damage from the two fights that me and Jermaine Teller had. Yeah. And then Kelly Pavlik, if you remember that last fight with Kelly Pavlik. Yeah, I was with there, man. Jermaine Teller. No, no, I was at your fight with Pavlik. I'm talking about when he Taylor beat Pavlik. Jermaine Teller. Mm-hmm. Now they seen the two fights with me and Jermaine Teller, and you start to believe. Because of the second, the first and the second fight, which was to me close, the first one was closer than the second one. But nevertheless, they believe they got now. I'm looking at it. I can't even say who they, I just say the industry mm-hmm. of certain people. He did this to make to, to Jermaine Teller. I know we got somebody now, right? That don't look like him. They don't speak like him, don't talk like him. He's a good old Columbus, Ohio boy, I think. Yeah, Youngstown. And, 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 and get, check this out. And he just beat Jermaine Teller. Mm-hmm. They got to believe they all lie. <laughs> and then when they all lie, bit him in the ass. 
and I did all this in the resort casino. Yeah, yeah, that was good. With Kelly Pavlik, and I talked to him in the corner, and I'm a quote, look it up, please. I will. Don't let this beat, don't let this ruin your life. Don't let this ruin your career. No, he's you a good guy. Fight, he was, was you there? Yeah, I was there. I actually drove with my college friends from, I went to West Virginia Did University. Did you see me in the corner talk, having a kind of like, literally, I mean, if you don't remember, you don't remember. No, but I, I, I remember that. Corner. And I also remember you. Uh, you did that often. Yeah, I do remember that. I did it often. You're right. I did do it often. And guess what it did? It wound up doing what I expected. Not yeah, he, that I wanted it. I, he haven't been right since. Hey, he, no, he's a good guy. I called the fight with him recently. He had his he had his he, issues, but I think he he's on, good, on the right track now. He's a good guy. No, but that no. night, yeah, I, I sneakily think I'm talking about your the boxing stuff. I know the personal stuff he went through, and I wished him well. I've talked to him maybe one time. We had an interview, and he was on. And he looks really good. He looks mm -hmm. really big. Like, yeah, you know, like, big. like, like, he got, but he got height though. He got height. He don't look heavy, but he just yeah. look big. Yeah. He's a solid guy. But my thing was, and it had nothing to do with anything else, to let him know mm -hmm. that the team, the promotion, the people, they build you up and they put you in a position to get a spanking and a lesson that you might can't come back from. Right? Yeah. Floyd Mayweather gave Canelo that. Mm -hmm. Canelo now is reaping the benefits of that whooping, of that teaching. It wasn't a whooping without a teaching. There's a teaching and there's a whooping. That teaching, that Mayweather with the shoulder and all that, Canelo is doing some of that right now. Oh, absolutely. And Canelo's doing more than just that, too. Canelo, I said this all the time, and I got a lot of heat for it. Canelo learned so much from that Mayweather fight, both in the ring and then also outside of it, how to be a businessman. But going back to the Pavlik win, which I rate as one of your better wins because obviously Trinidad and De La Hoya mean a lot, like significantly because they're names, but neither of them were like true middleweights or neither of them were bigger than you, but Tarver and Pavlik, those were big guys. Those were, you know, Pavlik was 170. Tarver, that was at, at light heavyweight. That Pavlik night was, was special. I was there in attendance as a fan with my friends from college. We drove up. That's one another one of those nights where you're at the uh, AC, you're at the boardwalk hall. It's so loud in there. No one was giving you a chance. Old man Hopkins against like the strong Kelly Pavlik. You know, old man Hopkins against strong uh, Antonio Tarver. I mean, that's the second half of, of your career that it was just, it's something, man. Yeah, and 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 let me tell you, um, boy, it felt good being on the boardwalk. You had uh, the commissioner Larry Hazard. You had a lot of people I've seen, um, the promoters, uh, referees. Everybody was there, and it was like to me, it was a send off to some, like sending me off. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of the people there saying, "Bernard, you fighting for us, the forty and up club." <laughs> you know, even those guys wasn't really big, big middleweights, but it levels out when you got a guy that's close to 40 and a 40 at that time fighting guys is 25 and 24, 26. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, um, I rather have, I rather have the youth than the knowledge because the youth is, will get you through at certain times more than what you know, what you don't know, because yeah. you can absorb more things better than uh, uh, an older person can. Mm -hmm. You only can survive certain certain time until it catch up with you. All right, Bernard. Um, before we let you go, one last thing here. Tarver. Uh, Tarver. Tarver. 
Come on, man. 175. Uh, well, why did you skip over 168? You have no, you had no desire there? Because I've seen, no, no desire there. And I also seen an opportunity to, to, to beat a light heavyweight. To me, that was a lazy uh, heavyweight, but a dangerous one. Mm-hmm. Lazy, but dangerous. You see what he did to Roy Jones. Yep. You see what he did to three other fighters. Um, Southpaw, Rangy, KG, uh, powers in the left hand, which most Southpaws jab with the right. They nail you with the left, set you up. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to me, that was another, uh, you know, Bernard Swan song that he's fighting Tarver. <laughs> Tarver just come off a great win with Roy Jones. Yeah. Why would he look the light heavyweight? He don't walk around no higher than 68 for the last 20 years of his career. He just getting the payday. I heard, and I'm saying these things because this is what I read. Mm-hmm. How they was looking at why, and I don't have, why would I do this? Why would I jump past 68? You said it two seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Why would you jump? Like, who does that? Nobody. Look, Sugar Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Robinson, excuse me, went from middleweight to light heavyweight and didn't succeed. Correct. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He fell short from when and he couldn't answer the bell because he was exhausted. So 107 degrees, I think it was in New York Yankee Stadium, whatever it was, you can look it up. The reason I chased that history, because I chased a lot of history and accomplished it, is because I wanted to do what a middleweight never did. Jump, go from middleweight without having even 68 pounders in there back in the 50s and the 60s. Went from 160 to 175 and made history. Ray Robinson was the only one that that could have done it and he couldn't answer the 15th round because he was exhausted. He was yeah. winning the fight, he just couldn't get off the canvas, couldn't get off the stool. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, I said, I wanna be the first <laughs> middleweight to go right to 75 like the old days yeah. and beat the baddest man who just got finished, who annihilating, derailing Roy Jones Jr. fantastic Hall of Fame career. Yep. I'm always like chasing history. Well, it's it's that's a good yeah, because you're you're a history guy. Because 168 is like kind of like a made up division. It came out of like the thin air when they uh, the original eight weight classes were. You know, you're right. That that's an interesting point, and I I, I never thought of before. We say goodbye, uh, Bernard. What is one thing you like about current day boxing, and one thing you don't like about it? One thing I do like about is that you have uh, a lot of um, outlets in the time that we live in. You have a Mm -hmm. lot of apps. You have a lot of ways to watch fight, review fights. You don't have to be stuck in your house on a nice summer night, Saturday or or (laughs) any other night. Um, You can watch fights uh, on your phone. You can, you can, you know, electronically and all that stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Social media um, that plays a part, even though you didn't ask, but I'm putting both of them together because that lets you know there's a lot of great characters out there, good true fighters and good um, showmen. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I don't like is when fighters don't realize the power for decades, for decades, for decades passed on that that y'all cannot like get that you are the breadwinner. Even though the promoter might have five, six other fighters, if you're the one, if you're not, then be the one to basically rule your life. Get some people that you trust, and let the fight happen that you want to happen. When I mean let the fight happen, want and argue and fight, and let your promoter know that this is the fight I want. If you don't want it, the fans should know 
that at certain time you gotta want the fight. The fighter has to ask for the fight. Mm -hmm. And every time the microphone and media is around that fighter, female or male, they must expose it without being cautious about any repercussions because yeah. it's their career. Mm -hmm. Just like I came and went, they will they came and they will go too. Yeah. So you have to get the fights that you want. And it's good for all fighters, even mm -hmm. golden boy fighters. You have to do it. You have to do it if you really mean what you say, because a lot of people say, but they don't mean. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the major things that even to the day, um, where fighters that should be fighting each other is not actually promoting or provoking and making it really happen, whether it's the social media, whether it's through you, through anybody else. There's a lot of resources out there to get your word out. If you're young, up and coming, or not even that, you 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 got some noise ringing here. Keep winning. Keep talking. Keep doing bold things. Keep being bold. Ruffle some feathers, and trust me, you'll get their attention. No, That's, I, the I That's the beat hop way. That's yeah, the beat hop way. I agree. The, the Sometimes you gotta be listening. Yeah. Sometimes you get you got to be nasty. Excuse me, cut you off. Sometimes you got to be nasty. <laughs> a closed mouth don't get fed. Yep. I mean, these fighters should listen to you, man. And your career was something to study, uh, business side, in the ring, and all that. One last thing uh, with Canelo. Uh, do you think you were a guy that jumped around with the weights? Him going up to cruiserweight seems like that was like a story for a little bit. And now the latest is him uh fighting fighting charlo i know he's no longer exactly part of the golden boy family but i know that you have a, a i like that fight which you, i like that fight the makabu fight i like that Jamar, no i like charlo? the charlo fight yeah that's the fight i've been asking for that fight when he was at the end of him leaving i've been asking for that fight and like like, like i like I like when people do go back and say, Bernard mentioned it. I meant, yes, I wanted that fight then. I even want it even more now. Mm -hmm. I think, not that I think that the Jamal Cello is going to be uh, uh, into an easy fight, no. But I think that because of the styles, mm -hmm. because of the hunger of the, the Jamal Cello and his ability, and also um, having um, a chance to be able to bask in the glory of what Canelo's at now and his victory, victory and his victorious time and time again, uh, where his head at, where his, where is his hunger? Um, you can show it, but when you really got to bring it out, is it going to be shown or is it going, or is it going to get exposed? Um, Jamal chose a threat to anybody at 60, 68, um, whether it's Canelo or anybody else. And I, and I think they didn't know that. And I think a lot of that has to do with 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 fighters wanting to fight the fight that will have everybody in the boxing world and non-boxing people yeah. buzzing to see. I, I like the, the fight. I, I do like it. I do like it. But the the I like it from like a commercial standpoint. Like Charles is a big name. Uh, it's better than any of the other options. I think besides maybe Benavidez, I think would give him a really really tough fight because of his size and, and his volume. That's it. The only thing about Charlo, that's, I, I don't think that, that's not that's not going to be a really good fight. That's Canelo sitting a big heavy bag. What with Benavides? Yes, I, I just think Benavides throws. He throws seventy punches around. The thing with Charlo, like I think activity and not, not when you get hit in the belly. You don't throw those many punches when you get hit in the stomach. It's true. It's true. That's what Canelo's. That's what Canelo's going at. 
but, but don't, when don't these fighters these... get into these chess matches, though, with Canelo, like he, he tends to bring the other uh, his opponent's volume down and then he controls the fight. I think that's what's going to happen with Charlo. If you can't back him up and Charlo does have, like, I would say plus power. If you can't pressure him like uh, Golovkin did, I, I just think you, it's just you're not going to win. You agree? I agree, but when you look at Jamal Cholo, you got to understand, right? You got to understand, like, from an urban point of view, mm-hmm. from a, a point of view of, I mean, when I look at that fight, I think of Duran and I think of Ray Leonard. And, and again, not talking about styles, I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about uh, this is my moment for Jamal. Uh, I'm talking about, I'm at the throne. I'm the king of boxing. I'm pound for pound. That's Canelo, and he earned it, and he yeah. is that. Yo, look how we pr- promoting it now, just in a conversation. <laughs> it's, I know it's this fight to me, I'm going to say it again, and I'm, and, and, and I'm, glad, I'm glad you ain't got to remember all this because you're recording it, and I love it. This fight is a modern day Roberto Duran mm-hmm. and Sugar Ray Leonard. Now they fought twice. I'm just giving you the surface of it, the excitement of it, yeah. the entertainment of it, the build up on it. Because to me, you have two guys at the level that they are, that people know who the hell they are, and they can't wait to see them fight somebody that's a threat. Mm-hmm. Anybody outside of that is not a super fight to me. That's oh, a right. super fight. It is a super That's fight. That's a super fight. Because, you know, That's he was, a super fight. Yeah, he was a champion at 160. He's been a champion. He is still is a champion at 160, so he's got that going for Correct. him, like I said. People know the name. He's been on all the different platforms over the years with the PBC uh, like you said, with the urban, uh, you know, that's a whole nother uh, aspect of it to the commercial side of things. It's going to be an event. Like, I, I got to be there in that arena. It's going to be awesome. Uh, there are some really good fights on the schedule. I know Golden Boy has a lot of uh, big fights. I love Golden Boy's matchmaking. I love what they do. Uh, I love how people always think that you guys are down for the count. And then you're like, no, 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 we're still here. And we're going to make tough fights. We're going to make fun fights. So, I hope that continues. Don't they know? Don't don't they know that Oscar <laughs> not going to fall down because some adversity? Don't they know that Bernard Hopkins functioned better under the under? Yeah, you situation? love that shit. You love the uh, just, chaos. I you thrive uh, off of it, right? Oh man, damn! My my sibling told me the same thing, and I said, <laughs> "No, I'm not that way." You, okay, you were though. Some people, some people like fold, but other people use it to their advantage. Like you used it, you used your whole career. You used chaos to your advantage. Correct. You should end there. I don't like. I don't like you, man. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> Listen, this is what I do. I, was, if I spend. I, I spent three days. <laughs> I spent three days uh, studying your life and career. I, I feel like a therapist. I, I know everything about you now. I'm gonna need you, and you don't. I'm gonna hold you. Man. When Listen, you get man. a call two in the morning, when you get a call two in the morning, you better not write a story talking about Bernard. I no, can't no, shake no. this. He's a stalker. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a writer. I just do podcasts. But I, I enjoy I know, I know. my time with you, man. It's always great catching up with you. I said this to Roy Jones last week. We need to start appreciating our legends while they're still here with us. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's always like when they pass on, then we start, to, you know, throwing all this stuff. How about, you know, appreciating them now? So right. I, I think a lot of fans appreciate you. I do for sure. And uh, thank you for everything that you've given boxing, man. What a career. And you're still contributing uh, with, with Golden Boy. Love catching up with you. Bernard Hopkins, you're the man. You too. And I'm, I'm appreciative that people appreciate me. God bless. Take care. And um, keep your hands up and chin down. There you go. Protect yourself at all times. <laughs> Peace. All right, man. That was awesome. All right. all right. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right, man. All right. All right. Cool. See ya. Man, oh man, do I love talking to our sports legends. It's a whole different type of interview for me. I get so caught up in the day-to-day of current day boxing. So when I could take three, four days to go back and watch an old fights, watch how the business was back in Bernard Hopkins day, and then talk about uh, an historic career like that. It's a real treat. And I hope you all uh, enjoyed that talk with Hopkins. I want to keep doing this. Uh, the schedule is pretty light in the boxing world. So I want to keep interviewing legends. So if you have a legend that you want to see interviewed, tweet me at Dan Canobio. Uh, that is a wrap for this edition of Inside Boxing Live. We'll be back next week with another big legend. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs>